the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pup are one of this generation's best indie punk bands. Their 2019 record, Morbid Stuff, is a masterpiece that, in a cathartic explosion, expresses what it feels like to live with depression and anxiety. On April 1st, the group released their brand new record, The Unraveling of Pup the Band, which shows the group's evolution as songwriters, as they blend some new, more subtle influences in the mix. Today, we sit down with lead singer Stefan Babcock to talk about not only his amazing band, but his ska roots. Yes, before Pup, Stefan played in the Canadian ska band Stop, Drop, and Skank. They released a few EPs and were drawing hundreds of people at local shows where much skanking occurred. I think with Pup, my favorite thing about the band and your favorite thing about the band are kind of the same thing. The gang vocals. Yeah. Their gang vocals sound so good. It doesn't sound like hardcore band gang vocals, but it also doesn't sound like it doesn't sound sing-songy. Yeah, and then just Jeff Rosenstock has got great and known for his gang vocals, but it's different sounding than Pup. It's kind of like Jeff's sound like you're in a room with a whole bunch of people shouting. Yeah. Whereas uh, Pup, it, it's like, um, what does it sound like? I don't even, I, it boggles my mind to explain what their gang vocals sound like. It sounds in tune, like they're singing a melody, but it also sounds loud and chaotic and kind of abrasive. The, the whole band kind of sounds like that to me, where it's like everything sounds kind of unhinged and like it's flying apart, but tight at the same time. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of amazing that they're able to do that. Yeah, there aren't a lot of bands that I feel like toe that line between chaos and tightness. Pup really does it. And you know the other thing that's cool about Pup? What? They have ska roots. <laughs> <laughs> Stop dropping skank. Tell me what you did on uh, Ska Dream. I know you did something on there, like recorded vocals or something. Yeah, I think we were just like, I think uh, all the pup guys were in a bunch of the gang vocals. Um, can't remember if I did some harmonies too. Can't quite remember. It was really, it was very Jeff in the sense that like, he sent us the a track like 
and was like, hey, I'm sending you a track. Can you sing on it right now and send it back to me? Because I need it right now. How fast did you turn it around? Uh, I think he texted, or I think he sent it to us while we were in the jam space, so we were lucky. So I think we probably sent him back like the three or four songs that we sang on in probably like 30 minutes. Wow. Speedy delivery. You can't even get a pizza that fast these days. Yeah, it's a... I think I think like we know Jeff well enough that we're just kind of used to that. So <laughs> I mean, it's we've done that to him as well. So did you know much about? Did he tell you much about the project while it was happening, or did you kind of learn about it as uh, other people did? Uh, he mentioned like he mentioned like he was going to do a Scott version of No Dream, and we were just like I remember he he told us like I forget where we were, but. He told us, oh, yeah, I'm going to do the ska version of No Dream. And and there, we were literally like, yeah, that's stupid. And he's like, yep, moving on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it when you got to hear the finished product? I like it. I, I, I like, I think it's cool. But I have to say, um, and th- this is as a huge, not only a, a good friend of Jeff, and but also a huge fan of Jeff's. Um, I just thought No Dream is such like a fantastic record. Like as far as Jeff record goes goes, it, it was like a real grower for me. Um and I really love No Dream. And so when I heard Ska Dream, I was like, oh, this is fun. And I think I probably listened to it twice. And I was like, okay, now I'm just gonna listen to No Dream. <laughs> I think it's a cool idea and a smart it's it's like it's really funny. Like I feel like a lot of bands will like you know, like Pup will play like we'll we'll play one of our songs as a ska song for like twenty seconds live, and then we'll switch back. But nobody truly has committed to the bit in the way that Jeff has. So, yeah, I appreciate it as a uh, as a as an interesting experiment. But uh, I gotta say, like, No Dream is just such a great great record for me. So uh, I'm definitely listening to that one a lot more so um if pup does a 20 seconds of ska on a song what's the song that you would choose um usually it's like uh it'll be like um a moment when i when i'm playing alone because my bandmates won't do it <laughs> so I, have to, I have to start it and then maybe they'll join in so like we have this like we have like a an outro in morbid stuff where it's just me playing guitar and singing and and like i've done that as ska and my bandmates you just see them groan and then it's like come in with you know, like, <laughs> like uh so yeah moments like that or like um uh i did it once for um I- i've tried it on some like really like um emotionally heavy songs and uh it's really weird like uh I try to do, we have a song called Scorpion Hill, which by pop standards is like, it's a pretty serious song. Um, <laughs> and I try to play it like a ska song and it's just like upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about um, yeah, this, the free at last contest you did in uh, 2019 leading up to morbid stuff. Um, so you you basically put it out to your fans. Like here, what did you do? You gave them the lyrics and the chords or just the lyrics? Uh, yeah, we gave lyrics and chords. 
and you said you know cover it but you know you don't know what the song actually sounds like kind of they have to basically figure out guess what the song's going to sound like yeah yeah there was no music beyond just like here are the chords you're playing and, and that's it man it's crazy people are so creative yeah like it was such a wild project we got so i we got like i forget two two hundred over two hundred two hundred and some um submissions and they were all like unique original songs like they all sounded different you know you give people something to run with and and a lot of people are just able to like create something like pretty wild it was it was cool it was like there was like 13 hours of wow free at last which is annoying because (laughs) the chords and the lyrics aren't particularly good (laughs) you know like just kind of dumb but uh it was it was yeah that was one of the most like uh rewarding things i feel like i've done in pop yeah i think because it's an it's an interesting concept because i think for a lot of people creating something from scratch is kind of a challenge but if you're like here's the here's the here's a few things to start with and then they just can go like take it to this whole level of creativity if it's like they have something to work with like like some parameters or something yeah, t- yeah, for sure. And like some of them like blew my mind. Like there was a few where I'm like, man, this is better than I did. <laughs> so one of the submissions was uh, Scott Two Network. Yeah, yeah, Jer, yeah. Were you familiar with Jer or Scott Two Network before that submission? Um, a little bit. I've seen a couple of their videos, but um, that was the first time where I was like, okay, Jer's on to something wild. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up like, I got pretty pretty deep into the youtube rabbit hole yeah so i was talking to jer about it and they were telling me that they submitted it and you know they posted it on their own channel and then at some point they got an email that said hey you're one of the winners and they were like winner what are you talking about winner (laughs) (laughs) so so there was winners yeah it was well i mean you know there are no winners in music (laughs) There are only <laughs> there are only losers and people who lose less. <laughs> so yeah, we we chose like five that we really loved. Um, uh, Jarrah's being one of one of them because it was just so incredible. Um, and uh, you know there are a few others that really st- uh, stood out. One that I just remember the story uh, because it's just stuck with me. There's this guy who's a big pop fan, I guess, and his partner's mother is a professional opera singer and she asked him what he wanted for his birthday. And he's like, I want you to sing on this thing. (laughs) So There's an opera version of free at last. And like the singer is incredible. Like it's very clear that she's a professional opera singer. And so that was one of the the winners as well. It's just like kind of mind boggling to, to hear that. Do you remember the other winners? Uh, Yeah, there was, um, (laughs) There was a um, a woman from Ottawa who uh, it's hard to explain. She did it with an acoustic guitar, but like she's obviously just like a very funny person. She was just kind of like cracking her own jokes during it, and uh, it was really. <laughs> I it's it's like not it's like trying to explain a joke. Me telling yeah. you guys like trying to explain a joke doesn't really work, but um, yeah, hers was. Uh, incredible and um, there are a few other like 
there are a few other really great ones. There were like glitch ones and there was like hardcore versions and there were, um, there was a polka version, which was really cool. Um, yeah, it was really, it, it was a weird, it was a weird and wonderful project. I'm, I'm really grateful that we have enough fans who are out of their minds enough to, to do that. I know I've seen footage of uh, Jer joining you on stage in Atlanta, and I think they told me that they had joined you like another time. So do you just kind of stay in touch with them? And Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we've played with Jer, yeah, a couple, two or three times. Like, I think when we were in Florida a couple times. Um, yeah, they're awesome. They, like, uh, they came onto a tour bus one time and was like, yo, so I know you guys are like old and shit. <laughs> There's this thing called TikTok and you have to fucking get on it. It's embarrassing that you're not. <laughs> we kind of took that to heart. It took us like a year and a half. Oh, well, it took us the entire, this was right before the pandemic. So it took us like the entire pandemic of Jer's words, just like sloshing around in all of our skulls to be like, oh, fuck, fine. Like, you're right. The kids need to hear hear this shit. <laughs> nice. So we have uh, Jared to thank for pup being on t- TikTok. You have Jared to blame. To blame. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of stuff do you guys post on TikTok? Because I'm super uncomfortable with posting on there. Oh yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I, to be honest, I'm like I'm very uncomfortable with social media. Yeah. Like I don't know. I, I'm just kind of. Uh, I'm able to turn it on, but I'm, I am, I am an introvert, um, who's just like learned to not be weird. If sometimes if I, if I can manage it, like just kind of like turn on the extrovert within. Um, and I feel like being on social media is just exhausting. It's just like always pretending you're an extrovert and it's, uh, yeah, it sucks. But, uh, TikTok, we only just started it. And uh, a few of the videos we've done have been done by Nestor, who plays bass in Pup. And he's like, um, how would I? How do I describe this? Um, he is like a green screen villain. <laughs> like he does such upsetting things with green screens that uh, that it really like it. It it's so stupid that it's hilarious. So we're just kind of like really leaning into Nestor's skills right now yeah i i just started tiktok for this for the podcast like a month ago and it took a long time because and i'm uncomfortable too but i think the main thing is i'm like god the videos are so amazing what am i gonna like i don't so i just post videos of me like once a week going like you know here's the the latest episode like i just i keep it so simple otherwise i'm like gonna talk myself out of doing anything well that's it that's the whole thing especially with like um people like you and people like me it's like it's like i, I don't have that much more to say <laughs> you know exactly like i was like i kind of say everything that that i need to say or i try to say everything that i need to say in our music and then the rest is just like like yeah you might think you want to hear from from me outside of that context but you don't it's pretty boring like i don't really have much to contribute so like you know twitter and tiktok it's like what a nightmare like holy shit like I, you don't need to hear from me 
<laughs> I assume you saw Jer's uh, cover of Morbid Stuff they did in like 2020. Yeah, very goofy. <laughs> <laughs> what did yeah? What did you think? I mean, it's a uh, such an intense song. Yeah, I have to go back and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Every time they've done like any anything by Pup or any of our friends, I just like it makes me happy for a whole day. Yeah. Like it's hard to laugh these days, but um man, yeah, hearing hearing a song like Morbid Stuff but Ska is it's really wonderful. You know, it's kind of I have this like philosophy for pup where it's like, I want, um, if the music is really heavy, I try to make the lyrics, uh, I try to add levity by making the lyrics goofy or dumb or just, you know, whatever, not getting too serious if the music's too heavy. And if the music isn't, is kind of like, if the music kind of sounds fun, I, I, it's usually like, there are usually dark lyrics there's just something that I love about that, like juxtaposition. Um, and I think Jared, especially when covering pop songs, takes that to the extreme. Yeah. You know, uh, so th- there's just like something so joyous about um, a really happy ska song about being extraordinarily depressed. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I I really I'm a big pub fan. Um Morbid Stuff's probably my favorite pub song. And I particularly love the first minute of that song. Like I have um I have been driving, you know, and like with my music and I've like gone through periods where I've like listened to the first minute of that song like several times in a row. I just the the lyrics and the chords and the and the, everything the progression is just so so amazing. Oh, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, really emphasizing that song, but it's something you do. Is the 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 way you do gang vocals sounds unlike anything I've ever heard. Um, do you record it in an unusual way, or is it? I'm just curious how you get the gang vocals to sound the way they sound. I don't know. I don't know if there's really a trick like we just stand in a room and we do them. Um, I don't know. We just try to really get the, like get into the right headspace. So sometimes some of the gang vocals, we might do like a few passes and some of them are melodic. And then some of them are literally just us shouting the words or like just being goofy, like who cares about the melody or whatever. Um, But so much, I, th- I feel like so much of like gang vocals coming across and, and, and feeling good in a track is about every, everybody in the room feeling the same, mm. you know, because if you just get a bunch of people in a room and they're all in different head spaces and you're like, okay, here's what you're going to sing. And then you sing it. It just sounds like limp gang vocals. And the idea behind gang vocals is like, you're at a show. Everyone's there together everyone's ripping together everyone feels the same way um and you kind of need to i think you need to cultivate that um in a studio setting in order for those vocals to kind of like pop in that way yeah so how many do you usually keep so you have like the full band do you keep several like overdubs of them or do you try to do like one or two for the final um it really depends like i think usually like often we'll have 
three tracks, I think, of gang vocals. Mm-hmm. But sometimes just one. Um, it really depends. This time around, um, on on our on our latest record that's coming out in April, um, we had a bunch of songs where the gangs were, you know, I say gangs in like air quote. Uh, they were done <laughs> over like you know they were they were done remotely. So that was more of a challenge where like, you know, we had like Sarah from Illuminati Hotties and Catherine from No Bro uh, and our friend Eric from uh, Remo Drive. They're they're all like in most of the gang vocals. Um, and I had to like kind of call them before before they did it and be like, OK, like you got to get get into the get into the headspace because it's just not the same if people are just singing along, you know what I mean? It's, it's not the same vibe. I've, I've only heard the, um, Matilda and the, the, the robot writes a love song of the ones they have videos for out as of the time of this recording. But, uh, I, I think the gang vocals sound really good. They don't sound quite the same as like morbid stuff. Like that sounds like this weird, all consuming melodic gang vocals. That's like, it sounds so so weird to me and in a good way but the new one it sounds like a little su- more subtle but still unique yeah i feel like those two tracks don't have a lot of gang vocals on them actually yeah this I feel like there's a little, just a little accents here and there mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah there are definitely like some songs on the new record that are like oh my god that's enough gang vocals you know <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we used to have a big problem with overdoing the gang vocals. Like I think probably on our first record, we did everything as gang vocals and, um, the guy was producing and mixing Dave Schiffman had to be like, okay guys, well, this is really nice and cute, but (laughs) we're not, this whole song can't be gang vocals. So I'm just going to like strip back all of this except for Stefan. And then we'll bring the gangs in, in the chorus. And we are like, ah, it's kind of lame. But, but, uh, but then, you know, like he's so right. Like too many gang vocals just gets, can get obnoxious. I think. You lose the dynamics of what they bring to the song. Yeah, exactly. We'll be right back after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Robot Writes a Love Song um, sounds like a Flaming Lips song to me almost. Oh, Whoa, thanks. Okay. I like that. Um, yeah, I w- I'm not a huge, I don't know that much about the Flaming Lips, mm-hmm. to be honest, but um, I everything that I know, I'm like very intrigued by. 
yeah. seems like they're very like they're a very interesting band to me yeah it was it was just i like the you know all the concepts in the in the lyrics and then the kind of trying some different instrumentation some weird blippy bloopy type <laughs> stuff what type of what were you doing in the studio as far as uh recording that um that song was a bit of an anomaly um we we made a demo for it um in our jam space before we went to the studio and we were all like in love with the demo you're just like usually we make a demo and we're like this sounds fine like hope the album version's better um but this one we were like really like stoked on the demo there was something about like we recorded it so fast it's very unpup like usually we we like overthink everything that we do and practice the shit out of songs and get super tight and think about every moment and then we demo them or record them and this one we like did it all in a day and it just like felt really good um so we tried to redo it in the studio and um some of it sounded awesome but but some of the magic was missing so we ended up just like pulling big chunks out of the demo and just putting them in the studio version, which is like a real first for us. Um, Interesting. So all like all the backup vocals, we never, we never do this. I never sing backups to myself, but I do almost all the time on the demos just because it's easier and faster that way. And so for robot, like we took all the vocals from the demo session, which is just, me harmonizing with myself a thousand times and I recorded them all in the backseat of my car because it was just a demo. And somehow those ended up on the, like the final album. And I kind of like feel, I feel good about it, but I also feel weird. Like maybe I should have tried harder when I was recording them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just a, it's, it's, it's weird to hear it back now for me, but, but it was impossible to recapture that magic. Oh, that's cool. Actually, I like I like that. Sometimes the you, you have something in mind for what's going to be, you know, the best version of something and it's not it's something else it ends up being the best version. Yeah. I mean, I guess the lesson for us there was like sometimes the demo is what the demo <laughs> is, you know, which is something that we've been very resistant to in the past. There's a similar story with um the song You Don't Get Me High Anymore by Fantagram, which y'all covered where they were really intrigued. They really liked their demo version. And when they were working on it in the studio, they, they were kept going, man, it's, it's not like the demo. I, uh, when I came across your version of it, uh, we're friends with the producer, Ricky Reed. So I sent it to him and he, he texted me back and said, this is sick. <laughs> <laughs> so you get the seal of approval for your version. Yes, that's exactly the reaction we want. <laughs> this is sick. It's funny because he's like a, you know, he's like a pop producer now, but he used to, you know, play in a weird band that used to tour with bands like RX Bandits. Oh, wow. I, th- I feel like that's like the path of a lot of those pop guys. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. Like I'm uh, like, that's, it's kind of, you know, I spent most of the past two years since we weren't touring, like writing pop songs with other people. And I just feel like there's a bit of a natural progression, um, from one into the other, mm-hmm. you know, like I feel like when I was younger, I just didn't, I didn't like pop uh, because I thought it was like, you know, for idiots or whatever, for sure. dummies or for people, not for dummies, 
maybe I thought it was for people who didn't really like music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's something good to put on. Um, but I realize now that I'm a bit older and much more obsessed with songwriting that that is completely wrong. And I'm an idiot and an asshole like pop music. I just feel like right now for, for me right now, like there is such an art to it. And sometimes the lyrics can be nothing, but in every pop and every pop song, uh, pop song, God, in every pop song, there's like like a little, a, a little. There's something that's genius. There's like a little hook or a little turnaround or a little like lyric phrase that is so brilliant, and it and it's easy to overlook the reasons why those songs are popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a reason, and and it's because there's something about them that most people cannot do. And so I've kind of been like in search of, of that, of the secret ingredient, you know, for the past couple of years. Who have you been working with or songs you've been working on? Uh, um, most of them aren't out. So I, I don't think I'm allowed to, to say, but, but um, there have been a few that were released, like um, not, not pop stuff uh, that I've been working on for the past couple of years. Like uh, there's a band, um, from Canada called Chastity, which are, they're really amazing. Um, and I got to do some co-writes with them and I got to do some co-writes with a band called Ultra Q, um, who I think are from California. Um, I just, I, I, I did a lot of co-writes in the past few years and it's been really like eye opening to me to see how other people go about, um, writing songs. So, um, let's talk about your, uh, let's talk about stop, drop and skank. yeah sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> i knew it was coming but i'm still not prepared for to for it all right know. we'll be gentle I, I don't get asked about it very often okay well we got to talk about it. it's a scott podcast so <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the formation of the band um yeah we started in high school um i started playing in the band like maybe two months after I'd first picked up a guitar, which maybe tells you something about how good or not good the band was. Um, And there was like, there was anywhere at any given moment, there was anywhere between six and nine of us. Um, There was like, you know, two guitars, bass, drums, and then there was a kind of rotating group of horn players. Some of the footage I've seen, uh, lots of horn players in in some of the some of the shots yeah like 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 there were some shows that we did with one or two horn players but like the important ones we would try to like get rally all the troops and and try to have like you know four or five horn players on stage with us one interview i i I read you said that um the group of people that started this band only listened to ska yeah i mean yeah i i definitely went through a phase in high school where I only listened to ska and then I discovered screamo music (laughs) and I felt this a very split personality between like the the angry misunderstood depressed kid and the super happy stoner kid there was two versions of me there was the ska version and the emo version and they did not meet in the middle ever okay so you're gonna have to back up a little bit and just let us know what you were listening to as far as ska and then what you were listening to as far as screamo Sure. Yeah. Um, I think the first, uh, 
ska band that I got really excited about was Catch-22 and then Streetlight um, from that. Um, that was definitely like my favorite, you know, Everything Goes Numb is like definitely my favorite ska record. Um, and then I started to, uh, I got, after after like this initial like phase of like listening to, like my first my first concert ever was Goldfinger. Um, and I listened to a lot of these kind of like pop punk ska bands. And then I start, I started kind of like going back a bit and I got really into reggae, like Bob Marley stuff. Um, and, and from there, like there was this whole scene of ska bands in Southern Ontario. Uh, and for whatever reason, a style that was really popular in Southern Ontario was like um, white dudes playing reggae. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I feel like all the ska kids just started like gravitating towards kind of like the, the more like chill sort of um, vibey ska stuff. I see. Living up there. Did you ever hear flashlight or flashlight Brown? Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to speak out of turn. I I'm pretty sure Stop Drop and Skank played with them. Once. Oh, nice. Yeah, I can't remember. They're they're a great band from up there that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. And then there was um Grim Skunk. I've heard that name, but I don't I don't I don't know them. They're more Montreal, I think, and I don't think they play outside of that area. But in that area, they're like a stadium band. <laughs> well, like Montreal. <laughs> Montreal is crazy. It's like got, it's it's the biggest ska scene that I've I've ever seen. Um, I'm sure there are there are definitely bigger ones, but like ska is such a big thing in Montreal because uh, that's where the Planet Smashers are from, yeah. and Stomp Records formed there. And like so, Stomp Records put out all the Canadian ska bands, the relevant Canadian ska bands, anyways. And um, I have a really good friend from there named Val who runs who's since I, since like I was in Stop Drop and Skank, like, you know, I, that must have been 15 years ago. She has run something called Montreal Ska Fest, where she is just single-handedly like keeping ska alive and healthy in Montreal. It's pretty crazy. What were some of the other bands uh, from Southern Ontario, like some of the, just the local bands? Well, my favorite uh, one was called The Expos. Uh, they're called The Donuts, and then they became The Expos. Um they were they were kind of like definitely on the the chiller side. They were kind of I would say in the like the um, the agrolytes world mm-hmm. or westbound train. Um, uh, I love that band so much. They're so great. Um, and uh, there was just so there were so many bands in Southern Ontario that popped up and were like really good for a minute and then just disappeared. Um, there's a really great band called Stalefish. Um, there was a there's a band called Hebrew School Dropouts who are like <laughs> fucking incredible, and they were all in like ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were really good. And then it's funny because there's a few bands. Uh, there's there's a band called um, the Makeshift Heroes, um, who were like I remember them being like quite popular in Toronto, um, and then they stopped being a band. And turned into like a very cool, very, very buzzy 
indie rock band uh, called Dinosaur Bones from Toronto. Um, and like they did a really good job of hiding the fact that they used to be a ska band called the Nation. <laughs> oh, but they've been outed today. Yeah, they've been out. No, I, I'm pretty sure everybody in Toronto uh, figured it out eventually. But I mean, both of those bands are really good. Dinosaur Bones was was a. I don't know if they're still a band, but they're a really great band. Yeah, talk about like split personalities. Like they went from this goofy ass ska band to like very serious indie rock. What were your screamo bands of choice? Yeah, uh, Thursday was a huge mm. one for me. Um, we got to tour with Thursday not too long ago. Um, and <laughs> I, when I met Jeff Rickley, who's a, the lead singer of Thursday, I remember like it might've been the first show of the tour or maybe we were playing a festival like right before the tour started. And he came up to me and he was like, Hey, you're in pup, right? And I was like, yes. And he's like, I love your band. And, and I was just like too like flustered because like, you know, I had a poster of him. Like, I had a big picture of him on my wall all through high school. I was just too flustered. So he was like, yeah, I really like your band. And I just went, thank you, and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, so, yeah, Thursday was a big one. Thursday was a big one for me. Uh, my, Chem- my Chemical Romance was a big one for me. Um, yeah, Thrice. I, I used to pretend to like Poison the Well because I thought that was cool to like Poison the Well, but I never really got it, to be honest. I'm a recent My Chemical Romance convert because um, I'm, a, I'm a little older. And in the, in the, when they blew up, I was in my 20s and not interested whatsoever in that kind of music. And then I recently listened to them and I was like, this is pretty good. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm also a recent convert where I heard it, you know, after with fresh ears and was like, Oh yeah, this is sick. Yeah, super catchy. You kind of have to like, if you're listening to it for the first time as an adult, like you guys did, like you kind of have to like get over the fact that the lyrics are for a fourteen year old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like the the music itself, the hooks, I, I I to this day I I'll still listen to those records and go, damn, like these are great songs. Yeah, I mean it's so weird. Like when you're young, the music you hear is full of all kinds of things, whether it's like the identity it belongs to the, the group of people that like them, the meaning. And if you're so impacted, your ability to hear it objectively is hindered by all of these things. And as an adult, I, I'm, I'm much less hindered by these things. So yeah, it is interesting to go back and be like, Oh, this is, this is amazing. Or this isn't really that good. Yeah. I know. I, I, I hear you. And I, I still feel like, hindered by stuff often like i i i feel like sometimes i'm just super closed-minded and i have to just be proven wrong you know Mm -hmm. you know like i was just saying you know i got really into pop music this year like like i you know when i first heard olivia rodrigo i was like yeah music for 13 year old girls why would i ever listen to this and then like i forget somebody that i you know, really, I forget who it was. Um, oh, it was my friend, friend Eva from, um, my friend Eva, she, she, so she was like, you have to go back and listen to it and really listen to it. And I listened and I was like, damn, 
Like, this is great. I love Olivia Rodrigo. You know, so good. I, I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard a song, a singer that was that that vulnerable and like that emotional in a way, the way she is in a pop format before. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, this is just like these and the lyrics. Like they're kind of she's some of the stuff she writes is embarrassingly vulnerable. Yeah. And and I feel like usually when you hear stuff that vulnerable, it's cringeworthy. Yeah. And I don't find her music cringeworthy at all. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I think it's an amazing record. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm with you. Okay, so I get the sense that you're not super proud of Stop, Drop, and Skank, or you feel like maybe it's not your best work, but I want to challenge that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to say, I think Stop, Drop, and Skank's a good band. Uh, definitely better than a lot of uh, a lot of people's, like, I used to be in a ska band, now I'm in a not ska band. Like, definitely above the average that. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I particularly, I'm going to, we're going to talk about two songs, I think, that are my my personal favorite songs from your catalog of, of the Stop, Drop, and Skank era. First one is uh, Stay the Night. <laughs> I think it's a nice song. It's, it's, a, it's got a, it's kind of whimsical kind of horn line going on. Uh, I can kind of, I can kind of hear the Catch-22 uh, Streetlight Manifesto influence in that song. You know what? I kind of like that song too, but I, also, I didn't write it. Oh, okay. Well, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, you know, there were it was there were two writers in the band. Um, and the other guy, Dan, wrote a lot more than I did, and he was like the lead singer. And I definitely, you know, I'm hard on I'm a little you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed about Stop Drop and Skang, but I also think Dan was like a really like for a high schooler, he was a really great songwriter and I and I really like like I'd say, you know, half the songs that he wrote, I really, I think are actually like really great songs. And I don't think the songs that I wrote were, were good at all. Like, I think they were just kind of like, they were there, you know? Okay. So did you, you wrote Riddle and Rock though, right? The song? Yeah, it's horrible. (laughs) No, come on. Listen, I want, this is, this is my argument in favor of Riddle and Rock. The melody, the vocal melody it's good. And I hear Pup. I could hear the foundation of what <laughs> makes Pup great in the melody of that song. Uh, really? Okay. I got, maybe I got to go back and listen to it again. But I remember like, you know, that was usually our set closer. It was like a, a crowd favorite. And definitely I thought it was great when I was like 16. But as I got older, you know, like, you know, when the band ended, I was probably like 21 and we were you know, I was probably 21 and the band, the people in the band were probably the oldest people in the room. Um, and it was at that age playing that song felt super embarrassing. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, um, one interview you said, uh, advice that you would give yourself is that, um, to not be in a ska band by the time you're 22. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had a great time in in being in a ska (laughs) band, but I think I think when I graduated from high school, it was time to let go of that thing, you know, held on a little too long. So you said that you were a beginning guitar player when you started the band, when you started playing in a ska band. How were you playing chords when you were doing your ska parts? Were you just playing bar chords or? Yeah, it was mostly bar chords. I, I, 
I eventually transitioned to, I don't know what, if they have a name, but when you're just playing like the top four, the, yeah. the high four strings. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely started off as bar chords and, um, and never, I don't know what they're called, but never the bar chords that start on the fifth string. Cause that was too hard for me to like lay my whole finger down across three strings. Right. Um, so it was all just like my hand, my hand moving all over the neck. Oh, like, wow. Just going yeah. up really high on the neck. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that sounded great too on like a beginner guitar that's not set up properly and the intonation's weird high up on the neck. Oh yeah. Like probably didn't even really know how to tune it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a shame that there's no recordings of our first couple shows. Cause uh, man, I, you know, I could probably release them as like a fucking noise rock album. <laughs> And then, and then having a lot of horn players, how were they at playing in tune? Uh, we, it was hit and miss. Like, so the first, the first iteration of the band was brutal. Like we had a couple saxophones <laughs> and, you know, saxophones are so easy to go out of. They're like, yeah, it's like a millimeter on the mouthpiece and, you know, different tuning. Yeah. It just fucking sounded like ducks quacking all over the place. And it was horrible. but. You know, by the time I was in like 11th, 12th grade, the, the horn players that were playing with us were like pretty, like pretty good musicians. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what kind of like gave the band a little bit of popularity um, was that like after the first couple of years, the horn section was really strong, like really good players. I read another thing where you said that you guys covered nearly every special song. Yeah. Did we? Or what, what, what songs do you remember covering? We definitely did a few special songs. We did, you know, we did like Ghost Town, Mirror in the Bathroom, which are both both basically the same song. Um, well, Mirror in the Bathroom's uh, English beat. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You're right. Well, we covered uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did. Uh, we used to cover Say It Ain't So. Um, which I think was probably our best cover because man, that song was meant to be a ska song, you know? Oh, totally. It's almost upstrokes already, you know? Um, that was my favorite song that we covered for sure. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on other stuff, but uh, yeah, we definitely, we definitely butchered a lot of songs in our day. You, uh, you opened for specials once? Uh, Actually, Pup did. Pup did. Interesting. Yeah. Did you play any Scott at that show? <laughs> I should have, like us, we were talking about before, I should have played, like, you know, Scorpion Hill or Morbid stuff, like, Ska version. But uh, I think, I think I was, like, we were not a popular band uh, when we were playing that show. And I was, like, pretty nervous. And, uh, I was like, oh my God, we're going to play and like maybe the specials are going to see us. But then now I realize like definitely they were not watching us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why, why would they do that? They're, they're all like quite like they're all advanced in age and definitely overdoing this. Like why? Are hey everybody. It's Barry from the what podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 these are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. They're going to watch a bunch of pop punk kids like act like idiots an hour before they play, you know? <laughs> in Defense of Ska will return in a moment. So this, uh, there's a venue called the Cathedral. Was this like, I'm curious if this was like your kind of main hometown venue? Because I've seen a, a few listings for shows that you played, like a CD release show and opening for Mustard Plug there. Mm, yeah, so there was a, it was a three-story venue. It was called the Big Bop. And there was the Cathedral at the bottom, the Reverb in the middle, and um, Holy Joe's on the top. And like, this place was, I just have so much appreciation for it now. They had all ages shows in all three of those venues almost daily. Wow. And yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy. It, it was like this whole all ages community um, where you could go see all of your favorite bands play when, when you're like 13. You could go, like, you could go see Catch 22 play in front of, 300 people at this place you know like it was it was a real it was really special and another special thing about it was because they had so many shows going on there um the the bookers at that place were always like encouraging kids who were at the show to like form bands um so that they could like so that hey oh you really love that like mad caddy show well you five should be in a band together and practice really hard for like a year. And then next time the mad caddies come through town, you can be first to four. Um, and so there were so many bands, like so many bands forming and getting like real opportunities to play like decent shows at, at those venues. And I don't think I realized like the magnitude of that at the time, but like now Toronto barely has any all ages venues and there are way less bands emerging from Toronto now versus like, you know, everyone my age in Toronto is in a band, you know, because we all got to like grow up going to these shows, seeing these shows and like getting the opportunity to like wow. to open them. It's like, it's, it's pretty amazing. So at, uh, how many people like let's say at the at the peak of stop drop and skank but what was your draw like uh probably like 300 in toronto yeah that's not bad yeah and then yeah much much smaller everywhere else but yeah like yeah at the peak yeah it was good it's like i i feel like we we worked pretty hard like we i, I don't know if you'd call it touring but we did a lot of like four or five day road trips where we played every night and we we would do that like we did that all through 11th and 12th grade and in like first year of university i was still playing in the band and like i missed a lot of school <laughs> um you know going to quebec city or going to montreal or going to ottawa and just you know we we tried in that sense a lot harder than most of the other bands so we managed to kind of build a following that way. 
Did Stop, Drop, and Skank ever cross the border and come down to the U.S.? Yeah, we played a few shows in upstate New York. Um, we did it. We did it once, and then we came back and we heard this story. I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure if the story is true or not. But we heard this story that because we did it. We did it without like having a visa. You know, we yeah. told them that we're like going to like hang out with some friends or something, and then we went and played shows, which you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we heard this story that. The Planet Smashers tried to do that and they got banned from entering the States for five years, which I cannot verify if that's true or not, but that was the story that we were told and it terrified the shit out of us. Um, because like if you're a Canadian band and you get banned, you're, you, you can't go into the States, like it's over. You're yeah. Done, you know? So it really scared us and we looked into getting visas and I don't know if you guys know, but like, Visas for Canadian bands to come across and play like a show cost like a couple grand, mm-hmm. you know, and our guarantees were like 150 bucks. So, uh, we did it that one time. I'm glad we got the opportunity to do that. Uh, and then we were just like, yeah, until, in, until we can afford this, we're not going to do this again. And then we never really got to a point where we could afford it. Yeah. So wait, when pump, when pup comes over, do you guys do it legit? Yeah. Wow. It was so hard for, for pop at the beginning to like, we were always very like most Canadian bands end up staying in Canada for this reason, yeah. you know, and they, they end up amassing a following in Canada because they play. So they you tour across the country so much cause you're hungry to, to play shows, uh, but you can't get into America and you build up a following that way. And we were always like very focused on like not becoming a Canadian band, mm-hmm. but it was so hard for us to get shows like you have to get a show in order to get a visa and nobody wanted wants to give a canadian band a legitimate show that you could put on your visa application you know like it's not like i could we could go to buffalo and play a house show and get a visa you know right it's like you had to go play a real venue and have a promoter say like i'm bringing this band uh, and then you had to pay all that money. So it was super, super hard for us to get our first like legitimate show in America. It was really, it's, it's not just like driving for three hours and, and getting a show. Yeah. And so is it still like several thousand dollars anytime you guys come to the States? Yeah. 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 Damn. Um, some people have it worse. I don't know really why, uh, might have to, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do it, but I, it's, it might have to do with the kind of band you are, but yeah, I think for us, it usually costs us around 3000 bucks or something. It's a lot of money. Do you remember the show you played in upstate New York? The one show? Um, vaguely. It, I think <laughs> it was in, it was in either Syracuse or Rochester. Uh, and it was, it was called ska prom. Um, <laughs> uh, it was just like this guy who did like, I guess, like prom, but ska bands only once a year. And like all the, the kids from that, that town, wherever it was, came out. Um, so yeah, he invited us to come up and do it. And like, it was a fucking blast. Like it was, and what a novelty for us to be, you know, like, I think I was probably like maybe 16 at the time, maybe 17, something like that. And to be like, crossing the border into a different country which sounds maybe stupid to americans but for 
you know, Canadians, like I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I knew anybody who was a musician who had crossed the border and played in America. So it was like such a novel experience for us. Uh, so after you're done with Stop, Drop, and Skank, how long does it take before Pup forms? Um, probably two-ish years before we first kind of get started. I think I needed a, like a little palate cleanser in there. Was there, was there other bands or anything else in there between in that two-year period? Um, no, I, I, I played in my friend's band. Like I didn't write any songs or sing. I just played guitar played the parts that he told me to play uh, in his band for six months. We played a handful of shows. It was a ska band also. Oh, what's this band called? Uh, it's called Prince Perry and the Glad Tones. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so I played in that band, like a few shows. Um, I played a couple shows with another band that I shouldn't even mention. Um, mention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, okay, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, and then after that, I kind of feel like my music days are done. Like I just, not my music days, but my being in a band days were done. Like I started being like, okay, how, what other ways am I going to participate in this community and, and contribute? So I started like managing bands and putting on shows and like doing some of the business, businessy stuff. And I did that for like a year and a half. I got a job at a record label. Um, I did all that kind of stuff. And then just like the, the urge to write songs started creeping back. I want to talk a little bit about your new album. I was reading this statement you made about it, where you basically saying that, you know, you didn't want to write another album about, you know, how, how it well, it felt, how, how good it felt to, you know, hate yourself, which I assume you're talking about morbid stuff there. Cause that album is like, kind of deals a lot with depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff um and feels very cathartic yeah this album you said you were wanting to more comment on the horrible state of the world um and trying to cope with it basically yeah um i'm not very good at uh i'm i can't write political like overtly political songs it's just not in mm -hmm. like every time I've tried, it just sounds like ridiculous. Um, and I want to punch myself in the face. So I stopped, you know, I stopped trying to do that. Um, and I think, I think this, this, a lot of the songs are about, yeah, co just co personally coping with that sense of kind of existential dread and stuff like that. Um, you know, I still, I still, you know, struggle with mental health things uh same stuff i talked about on morbid stuff um and i always will to a certain extent but i'm in a i'm in a bit of a better place now and the other thing was like one thing that i don't think most people from the outside really think about too much um and i certainly didn't think about until morbid stuff came out was that when you put out an album you have to do all sorts of press you have to do a lot of interviews and for two years straight, the only thing people wanted to talk to me about was how I was depressed, which is like, that's, it's an easy thing to talk about once in a while for me. And it's a really tough thing to like, have to have that conversation with a different person, like every single day. I imagine. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it did definitely, like, that experience, me me being so sick of doing that and, like, it, it becoming an upsetting experience for me, definitely, like, there was a little voice in the back of my head writing this record that was like, don't don't write about things you don't want to talk about. Was uh, the, the last couple of years of the, this pandemic and everything, did that increase your sense of coping with the existential dread? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, I think everyone's uh, uh, anxiety has risen substantially over the past two years. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people, um, I feel like experiencing anxiety and depression, maybe for the first time in their lives, like largely because of the state of the world. Yeah. That's been sad to see. It's it's really sad for me to see like friends that I've known my whole life who are, who I know quite well, who I consider like reasonably hap- happy people, um, talking about their mental health now the way that I did in 2019. You know, uh, but I, but for that same reason, I think like I think it's brought people together. I think like people are much more empathetic um than they were three years ago because they understand people i think people who maybe didn't suffer from mental health issues now have a much better grasp of of what it's like Mm -hmm. yeah in the quote you're talking about how you know feeling good about hating yourself did you struggle or did you come to terms with this idea of like that there's um What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, mental health issues are real, but there's also the like, you can kind of like relish them a little bit, be like, this is who I am. And you kind of yeah, take ownership of it and almost like, like where the party is like, but yeah, but what about being happy, you know, <laughs> rather than like loving the fact that you're not happy? Is that part of the process? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think... I think you're talking about two things. One is like just accepting yourself and not being hard mm-hmm. on yourself. The other yeah. side of, of what I feel like what maybe you're talking about is like, you know, relishing your depression is super unhealthy. And it's a thing that I definitely have done in the past. And I think most people who have, who have struggled with it have done uh, like, you know, being depressed can often be an excuse to stay depressed, you know? It's a fine line between those two, acceptance and relishing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and it's, you know, like, I feel like everyone who deals with it slips slips between those two places, you know? And it's kind of natural um, to sometimes be on slightly the wrong side of the fence um, once in a while. But, you know, it's really important to me that I legitimately try and find some positivity um through through the band and through the record uh rather than like no one you know like no one wants to hear a self-serious record from a person like me like just whining that's like there's nothing less appealing that i can think of (laughs) you know and so a big thing uh, uh about this band for the past few records has been like trying to find some levity some humor in in the situation and trying to like you know gain some sort of catharsis or 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 like at least find some find some enjoyment you know 
in in writing and playing these songs. What was the inspiration behind uh, Matilda, which that song is um, and the video I think is beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that song is <laughs> that song is well was inspired by um, a guitar that a very good friend of mine gave to me, like literally gifted it to me um, when we were on tour with um, Pup was on tour with the Menzingers. It was the first like real American tour, and we were so broke at the time, and I. I was only, I only had one I only owned one guitar and it broke over the course of that tour and we had no way to like I didn't have any money to to buy an, a new guitar. Uh, my friend Ryan gifted me um this guitar and he was like the only condition is that you play it a lot and you don't change her name her name is Matilda. I was like yeah that seems reasonable. Um and I played that guitar for a number of years, like every show, every pup show, probably for five or six years, like I played that guitar. Um, and I really loved it. Uh, I wrote a lot of songs on it. And, um, and then I sort of started breaking my promise to Ryan. I just like played the guitar less because my bandmates thought it sounded bad. Uh, (laughs) and so I played it less and less as like the pressure to sound good kind of, grew like the shows were getting bigger and my bandmates were like you have to like get your shit together man uh so i played that guitar less and less and i felt really uh guilty and shitty about it um so yeah the song kind of came out of this feeling of like guilt and nostalgia and sadness and shame and also like gratitude for like this got my friend Ryan, like literally changing the course of my life through like this selfless gesture. Uh, so yeah, the song was kind of born of, of that experience and those emotions. What type of guitar was it? It was a Gib or it is a Gibson Les Paul special double cut TV yellow. It's awesome. I really, it, it is the one in the video. That's the actual guitar. Okay. I was going to, I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. How does that guitar yeah. not sound good? Those are good guitars. <laughs> well, okay. I have a few theories here. Um, first of all, I should say like, it's not like one of the old Gibsons. It was, it was like, I forget exactly early two thousands. It was in a, it was made in a little window of a time where Gibson was maybe not at their best. Mm. Um, I also beat the shit out of it. <laughs> well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I beat the shit out of this guitar for five or six years. And then, uh, you know, I posted this story uh, on the internet the other day, and I got two other theories from strangers, um, which I both, which I think are both legitimate. One is like, your band was fucking gaslighting you. <laughs> That's- <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe they were jealous that my guitar is cooler than their guitars. So they just told me it sounds like shit. And the other theory, uh, which I think is probably more likely, was that somebody said, there's no such thing as a bad guitar. There are only bad guitarists. And I was like, yeah, that's correct. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was researching you, I saw like there was a, you know how like in Google it has like, suggestions for similar searches um one of them said pup band controversy 
I was like, what's this? And then I, I click on it and it has this whole thing about article and, and stuff about you guys calling out, uh, you know, saying bands have responsibility to call out bad behavior shows and you guys talking about that, which I was funny to me that that was yeah, considered right. controversy, but yeah, that is, um, that's a horrible thing. to come. <laughs> no, no, this is a good thing. This is what bands should do. So I'm, I'm curious, I, I would like to hear a little bit more about that. Um, and what kind of prompted you guys to you or you, the bands to speak up more about this? I mean, I, I honestly don't think it's anything mind blowing. It just like, people should be good to each other. You know, it's like, I, mm-hmm. I, there've been a lot of articles written about this and I feel like some of them have strangely made us out to be like heroes. <laughs> and it's just like, literally <laughs> we're just like, don't be shitty and punch somebody in the face. Don't touch people inappropriately. Like just be kind and good. It's like, this is just basic human behavior that it sucks that sometimes people need to be reminded of but like you know i think it's really important to for people like you know it's really important for me to that people feel welcome at our shows and it's a safe space and and everybody feels good coming to a pup show and there's a place that you can stand if you want to be in a rowdy ass mosh pit and there's a place you can stand and see the band and participate where people aren't shoving you um and you know i think those things are just really important and I think kind of the more success that you have as a band, just kind of the more responsibility that you have to like to speak up about things and, and kind of, you know, especially, especially because, you know, like I was talking about before, like a lot of our songs, I should say almost all of our songs are not overtly political. It's important to kind of make your voice heard in other ways, if you're not going to kind of write those types of songs. So um, you know, it's really important to us at shows that, that people feel good and feel welcome and, um, and everyone's able to have a good time. And, um, I, I don't, I really just think that's just like, it shocks me that it, it, it shocks me that it has to be said sometimes, you know? Yeah. It also shocks me that it's, uh, it's pup the band controversy. Yeah. Right. I know. I was like, I was like, did my, am I, is there something else here? What am I missing? What's the controversy? <laughs> yeah. It, um, Jeff does that too. And uh, Jeff Rosenstock. And um, I remember saw We saw him at a, the, the Ska Dream show here in San Francisco. And he, you know, gave, said the thing he says at, uh, at every show, you know, you know, so you see anybody, touching anybody or treating anybody inappropriately say something you know kick the kick that person out you know you're not welcome here that kind of stuff and like on one hand it's like yeah it's like he's not a hero for saying that like everyone should say that but at the same time because nobody says that like when he says it it makes me feel a kind of emotional like like this is awesome and then everyone else feels like kind of emotional and, and cheers them on and you can kind of feel the vibe of the room you know feel just a little better yeah the band acknowledged that this is not a behavior welcome here it's like clear you know yeah yeah and i I, you know i think this whole community that we're all part of is like particularly good about being welcoming to people and so yeah uh i'm i'm grateful that people like jeff um, speak up on, on stuff like that. And, and we feel like it's our duty to do that too. But it, it also saddens me that like, 
I feel like we're part of a very open-minded, welcoming, safe community. And still, this needs to be said. Like, I don't even want to think about what what the the rest of the world has to deal with. Like, it's really upsetting to think about. But, um, but yeah, I I mean, I'm really excited for shows to come back and to go back on the road. And 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 I hope everyone who comes to the show is excited and there to have fun and make sure that the people around them are also having fun and not not there for um, you know any selfish reasons. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash in defense of ska you will get monthly bonus episodes extended interviews and commentary per episode and access to the in defense of ska discord in defense of ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week so you should go check out their other projects as well co-host adam davis has an amazing band called omnigon give them a follow on instagram and twitter it's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.